Well, welcome to the show. This is the Ontario AgCast. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and our guest today is an old friend of Christine's. Uh, Mark Andrew Junkin is the chairman of agriculturestrategy.com, and Mark improves the way families work together. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Pretty well. Not everybody would know you as Mark Andrew. You <laughs> go by another well, name. My hometown is Bob Cajun. Everybody's called me Bob Cajun for as long as I know, or Cajun. Yeah. So everybody gets nicknames in college, I guess, in terms of nicknames, you could do worse. You can take a boy from his hometown, but you can't take the hometown from the boy. <laughs> now, now, because you're from Bob Cajun and, and your nickname is Bob Cajun, um, have you had a particularly troubling time with the tragically hip farewell tour? <laughs> We were very proud to have our hometown just filled up. Yeah, it was great. It, uh, I mean, that that last hip concert was epic for our town. Yeah, for sure. Very proud of my cousin for setting up, setting up that show. It was great. So Anyways, you're, yeah. you're you're, connect, you're connected in the entertainment industry then too. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Yeah. So, Mark, tell me, what was Christine like in college? <laughs> A lot of fun. <laughs> but doesn't yeah. No, 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 no surprise. She's a lot of fun now. So. She's a lot of. She's a. Uh, she's a lot of fun to know, as you know, as you know. Well, I mean, she's, she's, yeah. And, there you go. And extremely smart and hardworking. I think that's absolutely. Great. Yes, those are always the first things I think about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I bet yeah. it is. Wild youth, exciting time in college. What has that led you to doing these days? So basically, I'm a seventh generation farm boy from a little town called Bobcasia. And my parents got divorced over our farm succession experience. Um, the day I left for agriculture college, my mother showed me the farm financials. And she says, you've got five years to fix this or else I'm leaving your father. And uh, we had made money in 10 years. When I came home to farm, uh, we had problems making changes in the family operation. And my dad actually plowed down my crops in the middle of the summer because he was jealous they were doing better than his. And so we've had, I was lost for quite a period of time as to what to do with my life. Because when you're a farmer, that's who you are. And uh, then I see one of my family, uh, friends fell apart at the wedding. Uh, their, their family fell apart right there at the wedding. And I had helped a few friends with their succession issues, I guess you'd say. And I just felt it was my life calling. And so seven years ago, I had a country bar in Guelph. And sat, that allowed me for a couple of years to be in the university library to become an expert in my field. And so that's in the last, I've been Mitchell on for the last six years. And I've been doing it across North America. I, I go from here to, from Ontario down to Montana, down to Kansas, wearing out cars, uh, saving family farms. And so my niche expertise has been basically after the accountant lawyer screwed up, they called me, had me come out to the farms and sort things out. And I had a really high success rate. Got a little, I'm tired of fighting fires. And so I'm all about fire prevention now. I'm also, I've been wearing out cars like you wouldn't believe. I put a hundred thousand on every six months. So what, uh, what, what is it, what is it, Mark, that would trigger someone to call you and look for help? Does it have to be a, a disaster and people screaming uh, at each other? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, Generally, what I've been, yeah, that's been unfortunately what people have been calling me after is, is the house is burning down, right? And and they call a firefighter. 
not been calling me as a fire prevention up to this point. And this is what I'm very passionate about doing. I mean, it's great to be able to, it's great to be able to walk onto a farm and to leave that farm looking at that mailbox knowing that because you were there that day, that farm's name that family's name will be there for another thirty years. There's nothing more satisfying than that. And I have a really like I've talked to other mediators and they have about twenty five percent success rate. Like I was depressed that I lost my first case and he says, Well how many have you done? And he's, I said, Well ten. This is my first year and he says, Holy crap and this is my and, and so I've had a very high success rate because I'm able to relate to people because I've been there myself. But my passion is getting rid of the need for a mediator altogether. And there's there's two different programs I'd like to talk to you about. One is that I'm doing seminars across North America, doing about 20 seminars in December. Well, uh, 11 December uh, seminars in December and 11, uh, 13 in January in different state agriculture colleges. So the, usually in the last year of a state agriculture college, they teach a course where the kids write a business plan. Mm-hmm. And part of that, a lot of the kids, they write the business plan the night before it was due. And then two years later, they pull out that business plan and expect, expect mom and dad to write a co-finance that business plan and do a barn expansion. And right. Mom and dad might not have quite as much confidence in the plan as, as Junior does. That's the problem, right? And they, uh, that's also done, you know, that plan was done the night before it was due. And more importantly, it's done without um, the perspective of mom and dad. Quite often you have uh, guys that sit around drinking in, a, in their college dorm room and they brag about how big they're going to grow their operation, how quickly they're going to do it. Then they write these business plans, kind of as competition with each other. For a lot of families, that the, son, the parents are not comfortable with debt, and so they have been very conservative in their debt. So every, there's a lot of ways to milk a cow. There's not one way to milk a cow. The incorrect way is for everybody to milk a cow differently. So on a family farm, if you got three, four people milking cows differently, and you got mastitis. In the same way, if you have three, four people in the family business wanting to run it different ways, you've got family issues. Everybody right? needs to know the plan and everybody needs to know the goal. Everybody has to be, instead of butting heads, the question is how do we get everybody pulling in the same direction? And so in the seminar, what we're doing is being done at Christmas just before these students take this business planning class so that mom and dad and the kids can sit down and talk about family values, family's attitude towards debt. Core values is a big part, a big issue in a lot of family operations. We can talk about three things. Where is a farm going in 10 years? Okay, what at a 5,000 foot level, what's it gonna look like? And then from that, Junior can go and research a business plan. If mom and dad are not comfortable with going into debt up to their eyeballs because they have, they have values that they don't wanna to be too far in debt, then Junior knows and then he can start making plans based on those parameters. And then the second thing we talk about is family business. How, how do families uh, make decisions together? And that's a real area of my expertise, and that's the science of decision-making. It's been an area we haven't talked about in, in farming at all. And it's a big area that a lot of money is lost, and a lot of families are fall, fall apart because of it. Right. And People need third, to understand that decisions are made in a certain mechanism as opposed to just what the end result of the decision is. The third, the third component of this, this seminar is setting the expectations of how son and daughter can come home to join the family business. 
so that it's not talking about how do they inherit assets 20 years from now, it's what do they do today and the next five years every day in order to earn their way in the business, to become a business partner. Because a lot of family farms we have during the first five years, that's either what either makes or breaks the family business for the next 20 years. And nobody's ever looked at, everybody looks at the transfer of assets, in succession planning, everybody looks at the transfer of assets. Nobody looks at the 20 years before that, or the 10 years before that moment, when you have multiple generations and multiple siblings working together. And nobody's ever looked at how the son and daughter are integrated into the business partner, into business partnership. And there's a lot of 40-year-olds, even 50-year-olds out there, that they are doing what their dad tells them to still today, right? The dad's a dictator, and son and daughter, daughter do what they're told. And there's a lot of sons and daughters that leave the operation because of frustration of not being able to make decisions with their parents. Back in the 60s. I just want to stop you one daughter, second, Mark, because I, I think that's an important point. Yeah. So you talk about the reasons why a son or daughter might leave the farming operation. What are the yeah. good reasons why a son or daughter might decide to stay a part of the farming operation? Are, are most people becoming farmers because that's all they've known? Well, I think there's three different issues when the kids are in their early 20s, right? Either they're coming home because they are passionate about farming and this is what they're going to do. This is what they want to do. If that's the case, then a lot of those kids that have a lot of potential, they leave because of frustration of working with mom and dad. There's the other two categories is one, the kids choose a career in agriculture because the real world is hard. So farmers you know, by default? Farm by default. You know, and then other kids are just, uh, you know, dysfunctional and, and they're, yeah, exactly, farming by default. So by mom and dad in, at this at the seminar, setting up how tall you have to be to get on the ride, right, and setting up expectations. If you want to be a business partner, this is what you got to do. Then it's, it's uh it's absolutely key. It's it's absolutely critical. Uh, the kids know what they have to do in order to go from being kids to being business partners, and that they're not entitled to it, but they have to earn their way into the family business. And so, for you to clearly set expectations at the seminar, it's they have the parents and the, the next generation have a time and place that they have the discussions that they don't want to have but need to have in order for everybody to have what they want to have in five years time. As far as A, for the son and daughter to not not be given what they, uh, given the farm, but to earn their way into the family business. Not only would uh, mom and dad be more clear about what they want to see from the kids, but the kids would then understand what mom and dad want to see so that they Absolutely. don't think they're doing the right thing and then find out yeah. later that somehow That's that exactly hasn't met the criteria. That's exactly it, because there's a lot of lot of kids that they get frustrated because they're promised things and the parents go through. Parents go. I mean, the problem we have in succession planning up to this date is succession planning 60 years ago was when Dad was 60, he'd have bad hips and he'd pass over the farm like a baton. But the reality is that nowadays Dad gets has bad hips. He gets hip replacement and he's farming until he's 85. And so people think that it's passing over the family farm. That is not happening these days. For at least 10 to 20 years of your farming career, you're going to be in joint business partnership with your mom and dad and possibly your grandpa, right? Which is fine. But the thing is, we got to change your mindset from the one person being a dictator mentality to being able to make joint family business decisions. And that's that's been my area of interest for the last 20 years is how to, how we do the science of decision making and change the dynamics of how decisions are made in the farm. So instead of button heads, 
and pulling the farm in different directions, we get everybody pulling the same direction. And by this seminar having a time and place for the parents to set expectations about what the next five years is, for the sons and daughters and the parents to talk about what the farm's going to look like five years from now or ten years from now, and also talk uh, get common rules in place as to how the families are going to make decisions together, such as having a weekly meeting on Monday mornings at 9 o'clock as to what's going to go on in the family operation and talk about, okay, if we do have a disagreement, how are we going to settle this? It, getting those basic principles in place from the start will ensure the next five years are successful. Presumably the kids are teenagers when this process is starting. How does that planning change when you throw spouses into the mix? So you're partway through your 10-year plan, everybody's on the same page, and all yeah. of a sudden there's some new people sitting at the table to make decisions. I think the two issues are with spouses, there's a frustration by the spouses that there is no plan, and then the spouses make some suggestions for how there could be a plan, and those suggestions are taken the wrong way, and things just go off the rails. So I think the key thing is to have a basic plan. Once you start a plan, I mean, you can change it, but you have to have something written on the fridge as to where the family's going, and you, you throw spaghetti against the wall, you see what sticks, and you just continuously update that plan. So everybody's working from the same map. And the second thing is you got to have a way to resolve issues. And for the spouse to have be able to have a time and place to provide input into the family operation, even if he or she is not involved in the farm on a day-to-day practice, there's got to be time and place for them them to have input. So that and it's not so it's not said from it's not what you say, but how you say it. And quite often spouses have critical feedback to the family operations to refine how things are doing and um, make improvements to the operation and also how the families work together, but it's, it's said in the wrong way. Right. There are, there, there are no farm wives anymore. There's just husband and wife farmers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my core business, I still mediate crises, uh, quite a few crises across North America, but my core business is what I, I sit down with families once a week and then we have a family business meeting. It's a time and place. We sit down, we talk about for 15 half minutes, half an hour as to what's going on in the week, what's one way we can improve profitability, what's one way we can improve how we work together. With the families I work with, if the spouses are a nurse or a doctor, they're involved sometimes in every meeting and sometimes on a quarterly basis. But at least there's time and place, for, depending on the family dynamics, but at least there's time and place for the, them to provide input and feedback proactively instead of reactively having a family dispute. And that's, that's how we deal with in-law issues. So you don't get involved necessarily in the legal aspects of it. If you're doing this process here in Canada and in the U.S., are you worried about the business laws in different jurisdictions, or are you teaming up with local advisors to work on those kinds of things? I have, I have quite. Uh, I'm the expert that lawyers would bring bring in to resolve issues. There's there's one law firm I work very closely with. They are the experts in five states and they're based out of South Dakota. They really, they're really grateful to have somebody like me that they can help. I mean, once you get lawyers, it's ugly, right? If you can bring in a mediator that can really help uh, help the family see each other's perspectives, it saves families. And so these, these lawyers bring me in for the, work, the cases that they can't handle themselves. And they also can see somebody as early in the succession planning process they could see a family where there's a very controlling patriarch or matriarch, and they bring me in to help teach those families table manners. So it's really yeah. a backwards situation 
where the lawyers are involved and when the lawyers have trouble then they bring in someone like you yeah. to, to help come up with a plan when in reality the plan should all take anybody. place ahead of time yeah and this situation for this law firm they didn't feel comfortable with the, the people they had, had to refer to so they, they really didn't have I mean they had they had basically lawyers that specialized in mediation but those families didn't get together for Christmas after that so really up to now they never had anybody like me and so that that's why we have such a good working relationship so you've been brought in at different stages of the process you've been brought into these things when it's already ugly and then presumably I've through your off. I've taken firearms off farms five times in the last six years I, I get called in for the worst of the worst situations families proactively too right through your seminars then you hopefully are meeting some farm families early on in the yes. process where where you get to see the the progression and the decision yep. making and, and see some of these plans that are put in place through yep. to fruition. And that's why we're doing these seminars this winter is because, you know, I'm tired of meeting these families 15 years after they should have had a conversation. And so what we're doing is we're forcing that conversation to have at this, at this one seminar is not where I stand up at the front of the room and talk um, for the two weeks prior to this event. They each the family gets a video a day and a question a day that they have to ask themselves. And so that when they come to the seminar, it's a time and place for the families to sit down and have honest conversations so that they can plan out the future of the family and, and avoid needing a mediator 10 years down the road. And do you think that kids are becoming more entitled or do they have a, an idea of what mom and dad have put into that farm business and, and respect the effort and sacrifices that they've made? One key underlying theme of my seminar is to eliminate entitlement altogether. And that's not just with the sons and daughters, that's with the parents too. Quite often you'll have a dominant family patriarch that feels entitled to walk into his son or daughter-in-law's house anytime and criticize how the house is kept, these type of things. So there's entitlement from all angles. Well, and that's a natural part of it. If I'm the parent and I feel like I've given my kid a big break or I'm somehow unduly sacrificing so that he can have a good start, I'm going to feel... Of resentment and then feel like I get to come and monitor what they're doing at their house yeah and that's that that's how a lot of families fall apart right the issue of control so we, we got to get rid of the issue of entitlement and say okay how can we earn how can the son and daughter earn their way into the family business and vice versa a father-in-law should not feel entitled to his daughter-in-law being appreciative if he's always critical of her Right? So he has to understand, he has to earn her trust. He has to earn her respect daily, just as, as the same as she has to do the same for him. Whether he has an $8 million business or a $40 million business, you know, a farm that's on the, on the brink of bankruptcy. I've had a couple of $80 million farms, which, the, the, I mean, that's a huge price tag. But I mean, the, the, obviously in those situations that the father felt entitled to control and manipulate the daughter-in-law's life. And so we got into setting up expectations about how family and family business would be balanced. And setting up those parameters from day one will prevent a lot of things falling apart in the years to follow. So what, what are the most sensitive issues? I have to think spouses coming into the business and the issue of prenups must get pretty dicey. Yeah, prenups are a huge issue. I mean, we, I, I'd love to talk to you in a different seminar. We could have a whole hour on that. Just on prenups, for sure. Uh, yeah. Always necessary, sometimes necessary, never required? I, I, like I think we could uh, probably do an hour seminar on this, <laughs> that alone. I, I get called out for to deal with the, the, 
the tougher prenups where the, the sons or daughters have were engaged and they lost um, that relationship because of the prenups. So I, we could do an hour show on that alone. I don't think I want to touch it for today. Yeah, the issue, um, when I got married, the issue of prenups came up and it basically said if I continue to be uh, a childish SOB, then, then my wife gets everything. So we didn't have a prenup. discussion itself um, that's that's a different show what I'd like to talk to you about today is, is one, uh, a small part of what we talk about in the seminar is the issue of prenups and how to how to how to introduce it and when you quite a few times prenups are brought out like three days before the wedding <laughs> I've, I've actually officiated 42 weddings um, I'm actually a licensed wedding officiant as well mm-hmm. just as a hobby so I've, I've had to deal with with a lot of a lot of prenup issues and nothing says welcome to the family to a daughter-in-law like, uh, like three days before the wedding, you know, uh, prenups brought out. Or I, yeah, I, find, I, I imagine it puts them in a pretty festive mood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. And I think what we've learned from talking to you is that there's a number of separate issues that have to be dealt with. And then it all has to be brought together to make one cohesive plan that everybody can agree with and commit to going ahead. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, uh, the, the plans will always be changing. Right? I think uh, a lot of people think about succession as, as an event. When you're sitting down in the office and you're looking at 10 minutes, you're sitting down for 10 minutes, you're transferring the assets from one generation to the next. And for our generation, that might have been the same, the way it was 60 years ago. But really, you're looking at a 20-year business partnership between multiple generations and multiple siblings. Anyways, um, so, yeah, you got to have a time and place for your family to have a, a sit down and have a discussion about the future. Everybody says that they're going to do it, but they don't, right? It's, the reality is the more successful you are as a farmer, the tougher it is for you to have that conversation because you've put your life into building an awesome family and an awesome farm. And, you know, quite often the type of individual that's successful as a farmer is a doer, not a talker. They might be fun to have a few drinks with at a, a shed party, but those guys have trouble really communicating what they're, what they're really thinking, what they really want. That's right. And taking over a family farm is a big responsibility. There's a legacy there for, for most of these farms, and whether it succeeds or fails, yeah. that's a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders, too. And I think, well, I mean, I talk about the third generation curse a lot in my seminars. So it's one, where one generation starts a farm, second generation grows it into an empire, and the third generation pisses away. And, you know, it's uh, we never thought about why does this why do we have this issue with the third generation pissing away? And so it comes, it, it, there's a lot of reasons for it that are related to psychology. So the, the big issue is how do you get that starving, how do you get that starving drive to succeed like a starving entrepreneur for a son or daughter that was born with a silver spoon in their mouth? How do you prevent sons and daughters that have a lot of potential from losing their motivation because they get frustrated working with parents for different reasons. If you can eliminate, if you can create the motivation and also eliminate common landmines that families encounter, have a successful first five years that your son and daughter comes home with a family and business, that farm will succeed for another 30 years. But if you have problems in the first couple of years, you're, 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 it's going to cause everything to, uh, everything to fall apart. And the problem is that in succession planning, because you are a good family, like people always, people always say, "Oh, we're a good family. We get along great. We're never going to have any problems, right?" And the the question you should ask yourselves 
is how can we go from good to great? That should be the question. How do we go from good to great? And sometimes, sometimes just because a family never fights doesn't mean that they're accomplishing as much as they could be. There's basically they, there's a lot of families they have something like a stone in their shoe, right? They have things that rub them the wrong way, but they refuse to sit down and take the stone out of their shoe. And then eventually, someday they have to take their, they cut off, cut off a leg or kick a family member out of the business because their leg has been infested with gangrene. So someday you'll need to tell us that story that you mediated a family where somebody cut off another family member's leg. <laughs> All right, Bob, if somebody wanted to find out more information or they wanted to come to one of your seminars, where would they get information from? Sure. Um, you go to farmingwithfamily.com is the seminar itself, and it's going to be, it's gonna, we're going to have it in December and early January. Uh, right now it's 11 states, possibly 13 states across the Midwest as well as in Ontario. Uh, we're having a seminar in Ontario next Monday. That's November the 13th, I believe. Yep. Uh, or, or the 14th. 14th. The 14th, sorry. And it's um, it's going to be it's in Arden Park at the the uh, in Stratford. You can you could sign up for this the, the pilot. It's a pilot project we're having this for the series, and so it's at a discount on price. And it's going to be really uh, there's a lot of kids from Richtown going to going to be coming. I think the key thing about these seminars is we only allow it up to, to five families per seminar, and so that we have that one-on-one interaction. And at these seminars, we don't talk; you do. So it's, your family goes off to the corner and has a really good conversation. It's the time. It's it's a uh, different that you're walking away with results. You're walking away with a uh, plan. You're walking away with a set of set of rules and expectations that works for your family as well as a five-year career plan for your son and daughter on how they're going to get off-farm experience and then work their way into the family business, where they're going to live, you know, what are the expectations if they come and join the family business with the daughter-in-law, what, how is she going to fit into the business, or how is he going to fit in the business with his son-in-law. You know, it, it's a, you're walking with those results. And so, and for my core business, it's agriculturestrategy.com. Yeah, we just, I just improve how families work together. That's a, that's a great message, Mark. I appreciate you talking to us about it. And if anybody out there wants more info, go to agriculturestrategy.com. Or 800-474-2057. It's okay. been good talking with you. If good this talk. is the last podcast that we ever do, it's been fun. If not, yeah. we'll see you next time.